Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Grain by Train podcast for Grain Week 27. I'm Greg Norsey from Pulse Canada, and I'm joined by Milt Proyer of QGI Consulting, who manages the Ag Transport Coalition, a consortium of agriculture groups that produce data and reports on rail service and performance. How are you doing today, Milt? Not too bad, Greg. How are you? Uh, yeah, I'm pretty good. So week 27 report just came out in the ATC. Um, so performance is still uh, not very good, but we're seeing some trends in the two railways. Tell us about what uh, CN particularly, as they seem to be pointing up, even though the, the performance isn't that great. Yeah, I, I mean... We have seen a, a shift, if you will, between CN and CP. So, you know, now we're seeing CP slide um, and we're seeing CN uh, rise, I guess, for want of a better term. So in week 27, we saw a third consecutive week of improved performance for CN. Although having said that, um, you know, order fulfillment performance does remain a, a dismal 45%, but admittedly, significantly better than the 24% that it was, you know, three or four weeks ago. So we'll take positive news where we can find it. Um, however, having said that, you know, the improvement at the top level can be somewhat deceiving. And uh, when we look inside the numbers, I think it tells us that, you know, CM still got uh, quite a bit of work to do to get back to where they need to be. Um, better at 45% carried wholly by their performance in the Vancouver corridor, 72%, which is probably the best week they've seen in the Vancouver corridor in quite some time now. However, um, you know, as good as they were in the Vancouver corridor, they were equally bad in other corridors where they delivered no cars, 0% for orders to Prince Rupert, to the US and to Eastern Canada. So hard to say that this is uh, characterized as general improvement, if you will. More concerning, I think, uh, and indicative of, of the road to, uh, ahead is that, again, in week 27, CN is carrying over uh, more than 2,000 orders that they were unable to fill in week 27. Carrying them into week 28, this makes five consecutive weeks where CN has carried 2,000 or more orders into the following week. In week 27, that was a little over 2,500, which was, you know, a nominal improvement from the 2,700 in week 26, but still the second worst week that we've seen. And in addition to that, they continue to be unable to spot cars for new demand, uh, seven straight weeks where they failed to spot at least 1,000 cars. CP, however, unfortunately, is going in the opposite direction. If you recall, in week 24, I think it was, they had a, a bright spot where they had delivered 83% of the cars, and they've been straight downhill since that, 48% um, in week uh, 27. That's their worst in six weeks. And, you know, as always, Vancouver is critical, and that's where they failed, it was 85% of their demand. And uh, they only supplied 48% of the cars. And they too are having significant issues with carryover orders. Their highest level in six weeks coming out of week 27 with more than 2,000. So demand is still historically low, but yet that does not seem to provide the window yet for the railways to improve performance. 
Thanks, Milt. Yeah, tough, tough situation for uh, for New Order performance in uh, Prince Rupert, U.S. and Eastern Canada for CN zero percent. Not great for for Prince Rupert, especially as Prince Rupert is solely so, um, served by CN. Uh, I'd imagine provinces are probably tracking pretty closely to this. Anything catch your eye in in the provincial performance? Uh, not particularly, as as is always the case, you know, system performance trickles down. Um, I guess the best news is probably Alberta saw some improved performance. And of course, performance has been very poor there this year, particularly for CN. 63% um, for CN, 65% for CP, so pretty comparable. Manitoba is, uh, CN continues to struggle mightily. I mean, the demand is not very high, but they just delivered 0% for the third time in four weeks. So that's terrible. CP a little bit better, 51%. Not great, but pretty consistent with what we've seen in recent weeks. Saskatchewan, CN, their worst week of the year at 4%. Um, their previous low was 21% about a month ago. And CP also terrible performance in Saskatchewan, you know, down 50% from the from week 26 and their second worst performance of the year at 34%. So, you know, one set of metrics says CN is improving. You look deeper, not so much. And CP is just trending the wrong way right now. Yeah, not great. Uh, definitely continuing what is a pretty sad record we've seen over over the past several months here one of the things we talk about milt or a few times in fact have been that you know grain is one product that moves on the railways network um and that the context for for grain performance has to be you know as much as possible compared against what other what other commodities, what other uh, shippers that are using the rail network look like one of the ways we can do this is through the uh, Transport Canada uh, performance metrics. So these are metrics that were developed out of Bill C49 uh, back in 2018 um, and put in place in regulation on an interim basis. And we're in a whole process of, of revamping them. But right now they get published every week and, and show uh, to some extent performance in, in, the, in the rail network for both CN and CP. Um, one of the things that that we do do is publish uh, a report based on these uh, metrics every week as well. Um, let's walk through this just to give a little bit of context for folks on on what's happening on a system basis. Uh, so obviously we're seeing incredibly poor performance, and whether that's translating into the entire system and for other other shippers. So one of the things they look at um, is system average train speed. And so, you know, these aren't perfect, obviously, and you may want to provide certain caveats on some of this, but let's dive into this to give people a sense of what are we seeing in the in the overall network, starting with uh, average train speed. Yeah, well, average train speed really is, uh, it's not the greatest metric, but as you say, from uh, for contextual purposes, I think it, it probably provides some uh, meaningful insight and and basically what we've seen which you know to preview what's coming in our discussion it'll be a common refrain around what we saw in mid-november when both cn and cp suffered their mainline disruptions uh, roughly at the beginning of week 16. so prior to week 16 if we look at the first 15 weeks or you know three and a half months of the grain year 
Uh, both railways were pretty consistent in their average train speed on a system basis, you know, averaging in that 40 to 42 kilometers per hour um, week in and week out with very little change week to week. However, we get to week 16 and we have noticeable change. We have a uh, you know, precipitous drop, if you will, for CP and a very steady decline, uh, uh, unyielding, I would say, for CM. And, you know, both of their system average train speeds uh, fell right at that moment uh, when the disruptions happened. And they've really never declined, or sorry, never recovered. You know, when we look over the last, uh, since week 16, CN average train speeds are 13% lower. Uh, than they were on average uh, through the early part of the year and CP 10% lower. So very high level, but certainly indicative and certainly consistent with what we've seen uh, with respect to grain performance. Yeah, and it's, uh, it's, it's pretty interesting looking at the data. This, like you said, they were in around 40 kilometers an hour, CP dropped immediately once the disruptions hit you know, 30 kilometers an hour for their entire network. CN didn't drop right away. I mean, that was a, is a really gradual decline. It took, I mean, at least in these metrics, it took them, you know, seven weeks before they registered a similar kind of decline, which is kind of interesting. I don't know if you have any comment on that because you'd, you would have expected them to also experience a, a similar drop, but uh, might be question around the data that, that, that is being received, but. Yeah, well, the one comment I would make is uh, this metric, you know, only measures uh, what's moving. So that's kind of a flaw when you're trying to understand how performance overall is, is happening. So if, if CN is holding cars at origin and they're not building trains and they're not moving trains across their network because of a big disruption like they had in the Vancouver terminal, um, that would explain how you know, the, the average speed didn't decline because those trains that were still moving probably largely focused eastbound as opposed to westbound um, continued to move just at a slightly slower pace but it's been very steady and we can see that you know once cn got their main line open the decline in performance continued we saw a little bounce back initially from cp and they've been very uneven over the last 10 or 12 weeks but CN in some ways is more concerning because, you know, once the decline started, it kind of never stopped, even though they've had their main line back since the first week of December. So that's two months now. And yet performance hasn't improved. So in, in one sense, that makes me think that CN might have bigger issues than CP in this regard, because CP has shown some recovery, whereas CN really hasn't. Yeah, pretty pretty concerning uh, that recovery element. And as we said, I mean, these are these are measuring everything that's moving on the network, not just green. One of the next one we can look at is average origin dwell time. And you know, these, by the way, these are all available on on the Stats Canada website, and, and you can see them. So let's d- dive into this one because this this actually uh, also shows some some interesting patterns as as to what's happening in the network for for all the traffic there. Yeah, I mean, origin dwell is one of the things that we track for uh, ATC in in some of our metrics. And the story is very similar. You know, when we look at the numbers through the first 15 weeks prior to the disruption in November, both railways were pretty consistent week in and week out, 
they were averaging about 11 hours on a system basis for average dwell time, which is, you know, really good dwell time when you think about the fact that that's basically the elapsed time between a customer, the the, when a customer releases a car to the railway and when the railway actually pulls it from its origin station. So 11 hours is, is very good, frankly. But since the Vancouver disruption in mid-November, that 11-hour average has risen to 32 for CM and 34 for CP. Now, that's the average over the last you know, 10, 11 weeks. They've actually gotten a little bit better, both railways, over the last three to four weeks. But when we look back you know, to early January, which, bear in mind, was still six weeks after the disruption, um, CN peaked at an average of 72 hours, and CP peaked at an average of 52 hours, which is you know, kind of off the charts for this kind of a performance metric. For another one we can look at, trains holding daily. Tell us about this one, Matt. Well, based on the methodologies that the railways have published, this is supposed to reflect the number of trains uh, that are online and holding, uh, in other words, not moving for X period of time. So pattern again, very similar for both railways, you know, in that six to eight train range per day um, through the first 15 weeks. And then since week 16, they're averaging 11 to 12. They've been as high as 16 to 18, uh, kind of been holding at a pretty high level here for the last six weeks, which is not encouraging. Generally, just for uh, you know edification of our listeners, um, this tends to reflect trains that are holding for, you know, crew issues or locomotive issues. There are other reasons, of course, you know, if you have a disruption or whatever, but um, really the point is that the numbers have almost doubled uh, from pre-disruption to post-disruption and have not shown significant improvement here over the last six weeks. So also concerning. Yeah, we'll move into... One of the last ones we'll look at, which is cars not moving 48 plus hours. This is a, this is a pretty interesting one. And I think it's quite reflective, particularly of, of everything we've talked about as far as performance, potentially some methodology issues in this as well. But um, one, we can also directly, you know, or we can directly compare to grain, which I think is interesting. So for the overall system, cars not moving 48 plus hours, what, what are you seeing, Mel? Well, counts are higher. <laughs> That's one might expect based on what we've been talking about here for the last few minutes. You know, it's uh, through the first 15 weeks, the two railways together were averaging 2,900 cars a day, um, not moving for 48 hours or more. And that can happen either online, it can happen at destination if, if, if destination terminals are plugged up, or it can happen at origin. Quite often, disproportionately, it's cars holding at origin because. Uh, frankly, that's a strategy of the railways. If your system is not fluid, you probably don't want to bring loaded cars onto the system and make the congestion worse. So what we've seen is the railways generally adopt an approach where uh, even if shippers load and release cars, if the railway's network is not fluid, they will tend to hold those cars at origin. So that tends to be the majority of cars holding. 
So 2,900 sounds like a big number, but when you think in the context of, you know, the hundreds of thousands of cars that are rolling around on the railway on a daily basis, it's actually pretty small. However, since week 16, when the railways had a, their disruption, that number got significantly larger. So the average, the average over the last 12 weeks has gone from 2,900 cars a day to 93, 9,300 cars a day. So that's tripled. Um, and CP by themselves, uh, just to show you how bad they got, uh, just after Christmas, just for CP, their counts were averaging 9,600 cars a day in week 23. The issue has never been quite as severe for CN. And again, you know, uh, maybe some differences in methodology with respect to reporting. There's no question C CN saw an increase, just not as dramatic as, as CP. Uh, you know, at their highest level, they got to 3,800 cars a day holding. Now, the concern about CN, frankly, from my perspective, even though their numbers are lower than CPs still to this day, um, they're actually at the highest level they've been all year. So CP peaked, you know, four or five weeks ago, and they've been showing steady improvement over the last four weeks. Their numbers are still high, but they're trending in the right direction. CN actually has been trending in the wrong direction for the last six weeks, and they just hit their peak uh, this week or last week. So for me, you know, I would be as concerned or more concerned about CN in the fact that they're not getting better. CP admittedly was much higher, but they are getting better. So that's, uh, those are kind of two different tales there for each railway. The for the from a context piece, um, how much of these cars that are not moving for 48 plus hours are grain for the two, for the two railways? That's different by railway, interestingly. Um, and again, maybe some uh, reporting methodology issues here, but we can only work with what we have. But if you look at CP and you go back through uh, from the beginning of the grain year, you know, they've always been in that 11, 12, 15, 16% um, of cars that were not moving for 48 hours were grain cars based on what CP has been reporting. They had a spike as you would expect there um, starting in late November, but they've also come back to their levels from uh, early in the year. CN, very different. Um, you know, their numbers as reported always been significantly lower than CP, kind of averaging that three to 7% range. And even though they rose yeah, post-disruption, they never got anywhere near the levels of CP. Um, CP, I would argue, um, not inconsistent with the percentage of traffic that grain represents on their network, at least historically, um, whereas CN far lower, like significantly lower. You would expect that those numbers would be similar, um, but there is quite a gap between the two. Uh, can't really explain it based on the visibility we have on that data, but um, less movement, I would say, in grain uh, for the number of cars not moving than we saw for the broader network, which, you know, tells us a little bit of something about recovery, which we'll talk about shortly. 
Yeah, so let's dive let's dive into that. Um, obviously, this is these are really interesting context to see the, the network in its totality. So, what what does this what does this say about the relative performance of grain, or, or you know, does it say anything? Yeah, I, I think it does. Um, uh, a couple of things. As poor as grain performance has been, and we've talked about this week after week after week now for the better part of three months, by some measures, uh, grain performance is not as bad as it has been in other sectors. Uh, grain performance is not isolated. It is suffering not only from poor execution of the railway's grain plans, but it's also suffering from a broader performance decline that's been seen across the entire railway systems of both CN and CP. So when you think about that, um, there are concerns uh, for grain shippers that go beyond, I guess what I would say, fixing grain. And the reason for that is that the improvement in performance for grain is not totally dependent on the railways improving performance for grain. It, the performance improvement for grain is going to come um, as a result of a broad-based improvement by the railways across their entire networks. So grain performance has declined, everybody's performance has declined, and to get grain performance back to where it needs to be in a meaningful way, you know, something more significant than the little increase we saw in CN this week, for instance, it's going to rely on a system improvement, not just a grain network improvement. And, and this is pretty straightforward. I mean, railways are a network-oriented business. So assets for the movement of grain are shared um, across all commodity sectors that the railways are moving, specifically train crews, locomotives, and track capacity. And for the most part, you can't fix an interconnected rail network one piece at a time. It's kind of an all or nothing proposition. So I think if grain performance is to improve, in part, it's going to be the result of an improvement by the railways across their entire systems. And that's likely given the numbers that we're still seeing um, to be a ways away. So uh, I would say that, you know, grain shippers should be cognizant of the fact that uh, we're not just around the corner from returning to normal. It's probably still a little ways away. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a really good point on the entire system has to improve if we're going to see improve, improvements for, for grain. And, you know, it's something also to think about around investments, right? Like we can, we can drive efficiency into the grain handling transportation system with investments and elevators and terminals and everything else. But ultimately um, when the system fails, we're going to, we're going to go down as well. And so it, it is a really interesting consideration around that, about what it means um, at, for grain within a, within a system basis. So, well, Milt, really appreciate you walking us through that. Um, anybody interested in seeing those reports can always reach out to us and we'll happy to put you on the, on the list for these reports from the Transport Canada data. Um, those of you who'd like to see the uh, Ag Transport Coalition reports, you can go to the website and we'll talk to you all next week.